Alrighty, let's get into uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to continue in our series on the wonderful book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, we're looking this morning at verse 5. And my title uh, for this message is Enriched with every spiritual gift. Enriched with every spiritual gift. And so we've been going through the book of Corinthians for the last four weeks. And I'd encourage you, if you've missed any of those weeks, get online, have a listen, catch up uh, with what you've missed out on. uh, Because the Bible is always intended to be read a book at a time. Unfortunately, we have chapters and verses that have been put in the Bible, and so people no longer search the scriptures, they look them up. Oh, John 3.16, I go straight to it without even reading John chapter 2, John chapter 1. I don't read that anymore. I go straight to the verse and read that. And God never intended that. He never intended us for us to read the Bible a verse at a time. And so if you have missed uh, what, what we've been going through, I'd really encourage you, get online, uh, newgencitychurch.org, and have a listen to uh, the messages that you've missed. But as we've had a look at Corinthians, we've done an overview of Corinth and had a look at what happened uh, in terms of their uh, lifestyle back then and what was going on in the city of Corinth, what made the people so wealthy, Uh, and what kind of problems the church was facing and why they were facing them. So we've had a look at that. We've also had a look at how Paul is writing to this church, and even though they've got so many problems, he starts off with giving thanks, which is unbelievable. And it just blows you away to think that that's how Paul starts this letter, by saying, thank the Lord for what God is doing in the midst of all this chaos and trouble. And then we've also had a look at some of the treasures of of the Christian life, where Paul says, you've actually got some wonderful things, even though you're struggling in sin, there's some wonderful things that God's already given you, and that you actually have as your inheritance now. Fellowship with Jesus, the grace of God being poured out onto you. And so we're going to continue having a look at some of those things, And uh, we're going to read from verse 5 to verse 7. So Paul says, let me read verse 4. I always thank my God for you, for the gracious gifts he has given you, now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, God has enriched your church in every way, with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This confirms what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. Let's just go back to verse 5. Through him, that's through Jesus, God has enriched your church in every way with all of your eloquent words and all your knowledge. This confirms what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
enriched with every spiritual gift. That's the title. And the first thing that I, uh, the first point I want to make, I want to make two points and one comment on this, these uh, three verses. The first point is that you can't earn a gift. That's the first thing. A gift is given, not earned. It's just, when you have a look, I mean, we've just read through verse 5 uh, to 8. We read verse 9. God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says. And he's invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. When you have a look at those verses, look at the tense that they're in. Verse, verse 5, if you speak Spanish, los tiempo. Where's Hilda and Miguel? There we go. The tense. That's what I'm meaning by that. The gifts he has given you. God has enriched you in every way. You have every spiritual gift you need. Verse 9. He has invited you into partnership with his son. All of it's past tense. Would you agree? They've received all this already. And then verse 8 says, He will keep you strong to the end. And you will be free from blame. And God will do this. That's future tense, but it's also present tense. He's busy doing it, and He will do it. So when we're dealing with things like God's grace, fellowship with Jesus, being enriched with spiritual gifts, these these Corinthians, they've already received it all. It's not... Paul isn't saying to these Corinthians, if you behave yourself and if you live lives that are good and if you do the right things and not the wrong things, then God's going to give you spiritual gifts. He says, you've already got it. How can this be? How can a messed up church like this have these wonderful gifts? If it was me, I wouldn't be giving gifts to this church. They're on the naughty list. They get coal in their stocking. That's it. <laughs> but not these Corinthians. Paul, Paul says God's already given them all these wonderful gifts. That's because you can't earn a gift. You earn a salary. You earn a wage, but you don't earn a gift. If I give you a gift, you haven't earned it. If I have, it isn't a gift. If you have earned it, it isn't a gift. When the when the prodigal son repented, you all know the story. The son asks for his inheritance. He goes off. He lives it up. He blows all his money. He's got nothing left. And so he's absolutely desperate. He gets a job feeding the pigs. And he's so down, he's actually eating the pig food. Now, for a Jew, that's the very lowest of the lows that you can ever get. Okay, And he decides, look... Uh, even if I go home and I become a servant in my father's home, it'll be better than what I'm doing now. So he turns around and he goes home. That's a, that's a, uh, a symbol of repentance. Turning around and changing your mind. That's repentance. And he goes back and the father's the first one that sees him coming, which is a wonderful picture of when we turn back to God, God is the first one that notices He's not busy in the background. Someone, someone comes running, hey, so-and-so's repenting. He's turning back to you. You better go meet him. God is the first one there watching when somebody turns and repents. And as the son comes back, he says, 
Can I come back into your house? I've realized I made a big mistake. But before he can say, please just make me a slave, the father says, put a ring on his finger, put a robe on him, and put some shoes on the guy. He's back. He's a son again in the house. Not, not He doesn't even give him a chance to say, yes, you can be a slave. He immediately showers him with gifts. And that's what happens when somebody turns to Jesus. Immediately, the father gives gifts. They're not earned. They're just given because of the goodness of God. <clears throat> what had he done to earn these things? Nothing. Not a thing. The older son who stayed at home was offended. And you see, the legalist is offended at the grace of God. Oh, they don't deserve that. And if they got that, I deserve double because I'm still serving God. I'm the one coming here early, sitting out the chairs. I should be giving, I should be getting more gifts than the next guy. That's legalism. But you see, these things are gifts of grace. Paul says in verse 4, I thank my God for you, for the gracious gifts he has given you. Now that you belong to Christ Jesus, they're gracious gifts. They are gifts of undeserved favor. And that's what he showers upon us as believers. When you become a member of the family, God gives you gifts. That's the wonderful thing. Gifts of grace. To one is given wisdom, to another knowledge. This is in uh, chapter 12 and 14. You can read about it in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. To one wisdom, to another knowledge, to another prophecy, to another gifts of healing, and so on and so on. God just gives these things to believers. They're not gifts of maturity. Okay? I've made this mistake many times. Somebody comes up here and gives an amazing prophetic word. Whoa! They must have a strong relationship with God. They can really hear God. No, these things are given to every believer. As the Holy Spirit desires. He just dishes them out. He can dish them out to a one-day-old Christian or a hundred-year-old Christian. They're gifts of God, gifts of grace. And they're not earned. And they've got nothing to do with maturity at all. They're gifts of grace. And you can see that in this letter because Paul is having to correct these Corinthians. They have gifts. They have every spiritual gift in abundance. But Paul's saying, man, you've, it's wonderful. You've got all these gifts. And man, you've got a mountain load of problems. In fact, you're using these gifts in the wrong way. That's where maturity comes in. They are just, they've got the gifts, but they are out gifting each other and trying to prove each other who's the, best, who's the most anointed, who can prophesy the best, who can heal the most people, all this kind of thing. And what they're doing is actually hindering what God's trying to do rather than advancing the kingdom. Let's move on to verse 5. Paul says in verse 5, so these gifts aren't earned. They've got nothing to do with maturity. 
They're just given by God. That's the first thing. In verse 5, Paul says, Through him, God has enriched your church in every way with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. Verse 7, Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I said I was going to make two points and one comment. Here's the comment. Paul is saying they have every spiritual gift they need until the return of Jesus. Are the gifts for today or not? We've just read the answer. They for today. They are for now until Jesus returns. That's the scripture. That's all I'm going to say on that because I could go off on a whole tangent and preach an entire message on that, but I don't want to do that. Let's move on to the second and final point, which is this. Completeness of spiritual gifts is found in a local church context. Let me say it again. Completeness of spiritual gifts is found in a local church context. Paul says in verse 5, he says, God has enriched your church in every way with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. And he says, you don't lack anything in a church context. In an individual context, we may have one or two gifts, but we don't have all the gifts. None of us here have all the gifts. But in this context, we are enriched in every way. In a church context, in a, in a local church context, and in an even wider church context. Every spiritual gift. You see, you can, you can read the scripture in, in two ways. You can either go, well, maybe, maybe it's just the Corinthian church that's enriched in every way. And maybe we're not enriched in every way. Maybe they are the special church. Or you can read it in a local church, in any local church context, in, we're enriched in, in every way. Either way, it's saying local church involvement is really important. It's critical. There is nowhere in the Bible that says a believer gives their life to God and is separate from a local church. That is totally, totally unbiblical. Even someone that sits at home and watches church on TV, how do they exercise their spiritual gift with that church wherever it is? In America, in Europe, in Cambodia, wherever. How do they exercise their gift? They can't. Unbiblical. It's, it's, it's only in a context like this where believers come together, they assemble together to worship God, that we have a variety of spiritual gifts and we don't lack in this context. But in an individual context, we do lack. That's what Paul's saying. Every Christian is a different part of the body. So if I had to say to you, which part of your body would you rather do without? What do you, do? What do you want? You want to give me your lung or your kidney? Which one? Choose. Your heart, your foot, your eye. What do you want to lose? No, I want all of it. I want all of you to be a part of what's going on here because then we lack nothing. But when Christians think, oh, I'm not needed, I'm going to just stay at home because really, who cares? I'm the 
the middle toe or whatever it is, or the toenail of the middle toe. We don't need that in the church. I've been coming week after week. No, nobody notices me. Nobody uses me. You know, so why bother coming? Because I want all the body. Because it may come one week where God says, bring a word. I want you just to get up and just say something. I want you just to say, Jesus loves you or something like that. And it will encourage everyone else. That's, that's being enriched in every spiritual gift. <clears throat> the local church, God wants us to bring our gifts in a local church context so that no one misses out. In fact, later on in the book of Corinthians, in chapter 14, verse 26, in, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, Paul says, Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, one will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given them, one will speak in tongues, another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. What's, what's Paul saying there? He's saying everybody has a part to play in, in when you get together, in, in us as a community. Everyone has got a part to play. It's only when all of us exercise our spiritual gifts that we're complete in this area. Then we can say we don't lack any spiritual gift. Now, let me just bring some common sense into this because sometimes when Christians read the Bible, they kiss their brains goodbye and they get all kinds of weird and wonderful ideas. At the end of chapter 14, Paul says everything must be done properly and in order and it must encourage and it must edify. So what's happening in the Corinthian context is that there's absolute chaos in their meetings. They don't just have a few people prophesying. They maybe have a hundred prophecies. There's so many prophecies, no one can remember what the first word was that God brought. Or the second or the third or the fourth. All they can remember is the last one that somebody brought. And they've totally overridden all the other words. The first word, God was heading in this direction. Now he's heading in this direction. Now he's heading in this direction. People are wondering, is God schizophrenic? Does he know what he's doing on the throne? Because I'm about to step here. No, don't go there. Go here. No, go here. No, don't go anywhere. Just be still and know that I'm God. No one knows what's going on. Everything is supposed to be done in order, and it must edify and build up. Otherwise, it's not from God. You see, some people will read that verse in, in 1 Corinthians 14 and go, well, it says, yeah, let's, when you meet together, one will sing. So only one's allowed to sing because that's what the Bible says. So either we, music teams are unbiblical. Why do we have a music team? The Bible says only one must sing. So only one person sings. Or maybe we just have an open mic where anyone can sing, but only one's ever allowed to sing. But the Bible says it must encourage. And some people, if they come up to sing, it's not going to encourage. Amen? <laughs> and then they go, someone must speak in tongues. So we're not closing the meeting until somebody's brought a tongue. So let's wait. 
And we wait and wait and wait and wait. Nobody's got a tongue. And eventually, because someone has a roast chicken on, they'll bring a tongue. Because <laughs> it has to be biblical. Someone's got to sing. Someone's got to bring a tongue. And someone has to interpret. People get weird. <laughs> <clears throat> it's biblical. <laughs> or they interpret this and other scriptures like it and say, well, every single person here must minister every single meeting. That's biblical. And if, if we haven't had everybody bringing their spiritual gift, well, that's an unbiblical meeting. And so not one must sing. We have a hundred people on stage. In the music team, because we're trying to involve everybody. We're trying to make space for everyone. And we'll have guys on cameras and guys on overheads, guys on sound, guys on welcoming, ushering, setting out this, that, and the next thing. Every single thing. And then somebody will come up and welcome. And then another person will come up and do the offering. And then another person will pray. And another person will give the notices. Another person will preach. And another person will do ministry at the end. Because every person must minister every meeting. That's biblical meeting. But the problem is, is that there are four or five hundred people that are still sitting out there that have done nothing. And so maybe the pastor turns gets the mic and he says, well, everybody turn to the guy next to you and pray for them. Whatever need they have, pray. Praise God. Now every single person, we've got the priesthood of all believers. Everyone's prayed. Never mind the fact that some people are visiting the meeting that may hate God. And there they are. They've laid their hands on you and prayed for who knows what for you. I was in a meeting once and I was standing at the front. I was a young Christian. And the lady next to me, she was just sitting, she was sitting like this, and she just had her head down, and she was just crying, crying, crying. So I, I didn't know who she was. I'd never seen her before. I just put my hand like this over the back of her head, above her head, not on her head, and her neck just went red, and all her hair just stood on end like this, and she just stood up and screamed, like the loudest scream I've ever heard in my life. It literally went right through me. <laughs> and she just wailed. And anyway, the elders came running over. And uh, I, I was, I don't, even, I don't know what I was in the church. I might have just been like saved six months or something like that. So I was all keen to get involved. And anyway, I went out to the back of the church with this lady. And the elders were casting demons out of this lady. Literally like nine, eight, nine, ten demons. Turns out she was a witch. She'd been sent by a satanic coven to come and disrupt the meeting. Now imagine the pastor gets up, right, everybody turn to the guy next to you and let's pray because we need the priesthood of all believers. And she's the one next to you. Praise God. Hopefully you get to pray first. <laughs> but you see, guys get weird about all this stuff. Paul says... In, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. Hmm. Did you notice that? Let's summarize. I'm not, I'm not saying it's got to be like this every meeting. 
I'm not saying one, only one has to sing. Bring back the organist. Scrap the band, and we only need one guy on stage playing that glorious instrument. Eh? Amen? Because that's what it's going to be like in heaven. <laughs> I'm being cheeky, but I'm making a point here. Is that we want all these gifts to be expressed in the life of this church, but it's not always going to happen every meeting. Because what happens is if you go down that road, this is the road people that, that say house church is the biblical model for church. Because the bigger this church gets, the less people have an opportunity to minister. Well, it's actually wrong. The more people have an opportunity to minister. Because as we grow bigger, there will be more and more groups. There will be more and more home groups. There will be more and more opportunities for people to serve in different areas. Maybe on a Sunday meeting, it might be the priesthood of 20 believers and not the priesthood of all believers. But if you're involved in the rest of the life of the church, there will be plenty opportunity for you to bring your gift. And not only that, you can bring your gift by just saying, hey, why don't you come over for dinner? Come and have a meal with me and I can share a word of encouragement with you. That's bringing your gift in a local church context. It's not just Sunday. Well, spiritual gifts, according to the Word of God, only operate between 10 o'clock and 12 o'clock on a Sunday. Any other time, God's windows are closed and He's busy doing other stuff. That's what we're saying. <laughs> we get weird about it all. Paul's saying, let's summarize. When you meet, your meetings should be done properly and in order, and they should encourage and edify. Should be that. Those are the things to look for. If it's encouraging, if it's done in order, and if it's edifying the body, that's wonderful. But if it's getting chaotic, something's wrong. God is not a God of chaos. Nowhere in the Bible is God a God of chaos. He brings order out of chaos. The very first verse in the Bible, in the beginning the earth was formless and void, and then God spoke, let there be light. Let's separate light and darkness. Let's separate land and sea. Let's separate male and female, because he's not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. <laughs> Amen? Where am I? <laughs> How can everyone have their turn when you get to a church of a thousand? This is what some Christians will say. That's why you've got to keep it small. got to keep it in small groups. It's not biblical. They met in the temple courts and they met in homes. Yeah. And they met in prayer meeting and they had times on their own with God. All biblical, all in the book of Acts. They had corporate prayer meetings. Peter and John healed a crippled man on their way to the prayer meeting. Peter had a vision of going to the Gentiles while he was fasting and praying on the roof of his house on his own. That's biblical. They're all important and they're all biblical. They're like legs on the chair that you're sitting on. How many legs would you like on your chair? Your walk with God. Happy with one leg, Sunday morning only? Or would you like a few more legs 
for a bit more stability in your life. Just putting it out there. Read the book of Acts. It's all biblical. Sundays, the big corporate meeting, home groups, the prayer meeting, time with God, four legs on a chair. How many legs do you want in your spiritual life? Check the scriptures. Don't just take my word for it. Read them. Read the book of Acts. The priesthood of all believers happens as we journey in this life together. Just take your body, for instance. There's the different parts of your body. Not every part of your body is doing something all the time. Imagine your eyes are just like this. You know, just blinking, 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 blinking. Your eyeballs are going to go, hey, give me a chance to actually see something. No, but I've got to exercise my spiritual gift all the time. Every meeting, I've got to come and I've got to bring my word or whatever it is. Every single meeting. That's like your eyes just blinking, blinking, blinking. And someone else is missing out on bringing their spiritual gift because you won't give them the microphone. (laughs) And that can happen in this context. It can happen in a home group context. It could happen at prayer meeting. It can happen with you and God where you won't keep your mouth shut and won't open your ears. You just to the Lord. Shopping list of prayers. Thank you. Praise God. I've had my quiet time. Off I go. But I've never sat down and listened. What has God got to say to me? That's a relationship. (laughs) Think of an orchestra. An orchestra has many, many different instruments in it. Picture a hundred-piece orchestra. Every person is waiting to play their instrument, and what are they doing? They all have their eyes on the conductor. When the conductor goes like that, then you play. When he goes like that, you don't play. (laughs) He wants these guys to play now. And Jesus is the conductor of this church. Not me, not the eldership team. Jesus is the one going, play, 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 play. All right, wait. You play now. You bring your gift. Wait, wait a bit. Next week, you bring your gift and you wait. That's that's how an orchestra works. In fact, sometimes in an orchestra, if you watch the the carols on the TV, there's one song they do, and the, the guy stands with the cymbals right till the end of the song, and he waits and waits and waits until the last thing. And he plays his cymbals. That's all he does. Now imagine a cymbal player goes, I'm going to play these cymbals no matter what song gets played. (laughs) Bang, 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 bang. Would that encourage? Would that edify? Would that be done in order or properly? No. It wouldn't. And some of us have that. But we need that cymbal at the right time. We need that spiritual gift at the right time. But our eyes have to be on Jesus. And when he goes, now go, you go. (laughs) Amen. Keep our eyes on the conductor. And in Corinth, it was the opposite thing. People were trying to literally outdo each other in, in spiritual gifts. So someone would get up and say, well, I've got this prophetic picture, you know. 
You and Jesus walking side by side. Next guy, get up. I've got this prophetic picture. Yes, it's you and Jesus walking side by side, but we're on a golden road. Ooh, even better. Next guy gets up. No, I've got this wonderful picture of you and Jesus side by side, but we're not walking on the golden road. We're on a chariot. Even better. Wow. That guy really has God. That guy's anointed. Way more anointed than the first guy. This is what was going on in Corinth. They were using the spiritual gifts in the flesh. And it wasn't building up and it wasn't encouraging. And the sad thing is, is that some churches today have totally scrapped prophecy and bringing tongues and healings and miracles because of what happened in Corinth. And they've scrapped it all. They've thrown the baby out with the bathwater because they're not prepared to say, hey, let's, we're a family. Let's give some room here. If there's a bit of excess or whatever, it's okay. But we want the genuine. We don't want to throw it all out and say, well, we don't want any of it. Because at times, people are going to make mistakes. You do that with your kids, don't you? They make mistakes, but you still love them and encourage them. Do it again. Paint another picture. Stay in the lines. <laughs> or you just go, man, that's amazing. You know, well done, Johnny. And his lines all over the place. That's what happens. That's family. Organization is, ooh, no, 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 no. That was a bit off there. We've got to clamp down on that. We have to have a perfect presentation of a meeting. That's rubbish. That's not biblical. <laughs> <clears throat> the key thing is, is that when we come to any meeting, whether it's Sunday, whether it's home group, whether it's a prayer meeting, whether you're having dinner at home with fellow believers, or whether you're spending time with God on your own, the key thing is to come and have a listening ear and to be available. Look at the conductor and say, what are you saying? What are you wanting me to do? What... You know, is there something you want me to bring? Is there a spiritual gift that you wanted me to bring? Oh, but I, I've only been a Christian one month. It's okay. That's okay. Because they're gifts of grace. They're not earned. They're given. <laughs> the most important thing is for us to have our eyes on Jesus. <clears throat> If we keep our eyes on Jesus, it will keep us from, from operating in the flesh. Because sometimes what can happen is that people can be known as the tongues person. Every meeting, the same person brings a tongue. Okay? Every single meeting, same person gets up, brings a tongue, sits down. That's their spiritual gift. Now, I've got to ask myself, does that mean the Holy Spirit, who is the most creative being in all the universe, picks the exact same person every single meeting from now until the rest of their life to do the exact same spiritual gift? I don't think so. I think maybe the first time, maybe the second time it could be God, but I think sometimes we get into a rut and then we end up just going through the motions. And I'm telling you, I've done it as a muso. You sing a song, it's amazingly anointed. So you think next week, same song. Now the meeting, and the meeting just goes, Whoa, like that. 
because it's in the flesh. Any muso out there will know what I'm talking about. You've all done it. Admit it. <laughs> you know, and you take a risk in God. You, you hear and you think, man, I'm going to, I feel God saying, do that song. And so you take a risk and God moves powerfully. So next week you don't bother praying and you do the same song and nothing happens. And that's exactly what can happen with a spiritual gift. Jesus says, there's somebody here that needs prayer for their back. So you, you come up to the front and you say, I feel God saying that he wants to heal someone with back pain. And someone puts their hand up, you pray for them, they get healed. Next week you come, I've got faith to see backs healed. But did God tell you that? Maybe not. Maybe he did. <laughs> but if he's telling you that every single week for the next 50 years, I don't know whether that's God. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I mean, I like the symbols and I like the tambourine. <laughs> but every week, <laughs> the Bible says that the Holy Spirit gives these gifts to each one as he determines. And so we've got to be open. We've got to say, if you want to use me in the same way, one week after another, I'm open to that. But if you want to use me in a different way, that's fine. But I'm open and I'm looking at the conductor to say, what do you want me to do? You see, Paul says, desire the greater gift. So that means don't just settle for one gift. Don't just say, well, this is my thing. I am the tongues person. All I ever will do is bring a tongue. Paul says, desire the greater gifts. Desire to prophesy. Desire to be used by God in whatever way that he wants you to be used by God. Every single one of us has a part to play in the life of this church. If you're not playing your part, we are poorer because of it. Paul says that if one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. When your liver doesn't function, you are poorer because of it. When your heart isn't working at 100%, you are poorer because of it. If you don't have a big toe, you're going to struggle to walk. If you don't have kneecaps, you're going to battle. Any part of your body that isn't working properly, you are poorer because of it. And I really, I don't want to put that on you to condemn you, but to encourage you and say, bring your gifts. Bring them. We want to see the gifts. I want to see this problem that the Corinthians have where we have a line of people wanting to prophesy. And Paul says, let two or three prophesy. Not 50. But I'd like to see the line. <laughs> I would. <laughs> and please pray for us as elders because you don't have to give an account for today's meeting I do and the elders do we have to give an account for what happened today so when people come up and share a word and we go and we, we are weighing it up is this what God is doing is this the direction God is going it's a fearful thing pray for us because I have to go home and I have to give an account to God. Why did you release that word? It wasn't me. I'm, like, I'm just trying to be nice to the people, Lord. <laughs> you know, I have to give an account for what happens here. And it's not easy. But I know this. I know God is not a God of chaos. And so when there's a certain flow in a meeting going in a certain direction, 
and someone comes and brings a, a word that just cuts across that, I've got to go, hang on a minute, just, just wait over here for a little bit. Let's just see what happens in the meeting. Sometimes we do that. But I want you to come regardless of that. Please do that. Please don't go, oh, I came forward with my word and the guy shut me down. Now I'm never going to do it again. We'll be poorer because of that. And we don't want to be poorer. We want to be enriched in every spiritual gift. When all the parts of this body work together in harmony, it's a wonderful thing. It's actually a miracle. It really is. New Gen City Church has been enriched with every spiritual gift. And our prayer is that God would be glorified and the church would be built up and encouraged because of this as you're used by the Holy Spirit. So come expectant to every meeting and come with an attitude of, I want to give. I want to bless. I want to be used by God. And if you're not used by God, come to the next meeting and say, God, I'm available again. If you want me to do something, I'm available. That's the attitude to come with. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer.